I don't know, um, uh, for, for people that, that had never preached before, or share, shared in this kind of context or anything like that, I don't know what you think goes through the minds of those that are preparing. And uh, I, can, I can quite confidently say on behalf of all of the, well, I, I, say, I, I take that back. I'm not going to confidently say. I don't want to speak for anybody. But for me, um, you can almost feel like a bit of an, an imposter. Why am I here? How, how is it that I've got something to bring? And uh, uh, especially I just feel that this morning with this particular word. And uh, I just wanted to share that with you because uh, what I'm about to share, it, it's not like I've got it all sorted. It's not like I've got it all covered. It's not like I'm, I'm 100% perfect and living this out in the fullest of my capacity. It, it's, just, it's just not the case. And I just wanted to be open and upfront with you that what I share with you this morning, I am going through too. I am working through this in my life, and I want to get better, to live devoted to this family, to live devoted to the Lord. I remember, Jeff, I'm not totally devoted because I'm just devoted. I was listening, Jeff. I was listening. <clears throat> I, um, I've been reading a couple of biographies, well, autobiographies this year, and my favorite by a country mile is Corrie ten Boom. Um, and uh, her story is just so inspiring. And uh, in her book, uh, Tramp for the Lord, she, she talks about an encounter that she has with a communist guy. And if you don't know, communists um, uh, are ideologically atheists. They don't believe in God. They don't think there's a reason for God. Uh, God is the opiate of the people, as Marx uh, wrote in the Communist Manifesto. And... Uh, she, she's having this discussion with a communist, uh, a Soviet Union guy, a Russian guy. And uh, she says, uh, do you believe in God? And he says, no, I'm a communist. She says, oh, that's interesting. There's a Bible verse just about you guys. She says, really? Tell me all about it. She says, it's John 3:16. For God so loved the communists that he gave himself, gave his one and only son, so that whatever communists might believe in him might not die but have eternal life. And it just got me thinking, because that's so true. It is a verse that is just for the communists, but equally it's, it's a verse for the financially destitute. It's a verse for the broken. It's a verse for the vulnerable. It's a verse for, for people that are going through trial and suffering in their bodies. It's a verse for people that are, are going through mental health problems here. God gave his one and only son for you so that you might not die, but have eternal life. And uh, it just kind of blows my mind when you start to think about it. When, when Jesus goes um, to Lazarus, Lazarus has died. This is in John 11. You can go and, and you can read it there. And uh, he, he's talking um, with, uh, with Mary, I think it is. And, uh, you know, she's just saying, if, if you would just come a bit earlier, if you'd just come a bit earlier, then, then Lazarus would be okay. And Jesus is a cryptic twist, uh, trickster. Um, <laughs> it's, it, just, just speak clearly sometimes, you, you want Jesus to do. But he comes and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, then though you may die, you will live. And when you live, you will not die. Yeah, okay. I think, I think I understand Jesus. You're talking about, so Lazarus, is, he's going to be okay. He's going to be fine. 
And then we read just a couple of paragraphs later, he shouts out to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out! Eternal life is not for after we die. Eternal life is for right here, right now. And Jesus calls us to live in this eternal life right here, right now, so that we can be his ambassadors bringing the kingdom of God, bringing heaven down to earth. Eternal life right here, right now. But there's this problem in the world. If you go to Colossians, Colossians 1. I'll tell you a story first. When, when um, uh, many of you will, will have heard already that um, my, my middle daughter, Phoebe, um, she's two years old now. She's going to be three in March. Uh, but a year and a bit ago, um, she nearly died. She got really, really sick. And uh, it was in December, just before Christmas, and we, we took her to the hospital, and they thought it was something, and they were pumping her full of drugs to fix it, and they, they didn't work. She just got worse, and then they thought it was something else, and then they thought it was something else, and they just couldn't figure out. Eventually, they sent us to all the Hay Hospital, and you're thinking, fantastic, top of the country, this is going to be brilliant. They're going to sort her out, no problem. They couldn't figure it out. They had so many specialists come and check her out to see what was going on, and they just couldn't figure it out. Praise God, eventually they did. She had to have a a heart operation, and she is absolutely fine. No problems. Praise the Lord. In fact, her recovery, just to say this is is not relevant, but uh, the doctors said that uh, she's going to be in hospital for a month, maybe two months, because it's open heart surgery. It's pretty, pretty intense. And uh, they discharged, actually, they wanted to discharge us three days later, but we didn't have the faith to take her home. We said, can we please leave her in one more day? Doctors couldn't believe it. They'd never seen a recovery like that before. Why? Because there's a community of people calling for eternal life to come into this baby. And I, I tell you that story because we, we are in a, in a world where people don't know what the problem is. There's so many tensions, whether it's culturally, whether it's politically, um, with, our, with a financial situation in the economy at the moment. Uh, people are looking to, to different arenas of, of <coughs> the, the internet world and to the web to, to try and find meaning, to try and find belonging. And uh, <coughs> any millennials in the room will, will remember a band, or if you're, if you're the parents of a millennial, will probably remember a band called Linkin Park, who in 2003 released one of my favorite albums at the time called Meteora. And a couple of weeks ago, I had a nostalgic moment where I started listening to all the songs. My word, they were depressing. <laughs> oh. And it's like, God, oh, 13-year-old Harry, you were not in a good place, were you? <laughs> but there's this one song called Somewhere I, Be- <laughs> Somewhere I Belong. And the, the, uh, the chorus goes, I want to heal. I want to feel what I thought was never real. I want to let go of the pain I felt for so long. You'll be glad I'm not singing it. Erase all the pain till it's gone. I want to heal. I want to feel like I'm close to something real. I want to find something I've wanted all along, somewhere I belong. And it's the cry of every single person. I just want to be somewhere where I feel like I belong. And we, we try all of these different ways to either 
create that feeling or to numb down that feeling. And, and this is what Paul writes in Colossians 1, if you've got your thumb there. It's in verse uh, 21. Oh, I've jumped past it. I'm reading from the New King James Version. And Paul just hits the nail on the head and he says, and you who once were alienated. That's the problem. We're alienated from God. And we're always going to have this feeling of wanting somewhere where I feel like I belong as long as we're apart from God. The whole world is going to be in that place. The writer to the Ecclesiastes, not the writer to the Ecclesiastes, the writer of Ecclesiastes, bit of a cynical man. He begins it by saying, life is like smoke. Fills you with positivity and encouragement, doesn't it? Life is like, life is like smoke. But he, he says later on, he says that God has set eternity in people's hearts. And so there's this sense of longing and desire and belonging that, that we yearn for. And Paul carries on. He says, you were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. God has made a way for us to come back to him. Isn't that incredible? And this is the, the thing that I really feel like God is just trying to, to get in me at the moment, is that uh, he really wants me to live life, and life in all of its fullness, right here, right now. And I constantly find myself limiting what God can do in my life. But I'll give you an example um, with the, the financial squeeze at the moment, uh, Bonnie and I have just been re-looking at all of our budgets and all that kind of stuff and just seeing where we can squeeze here and squeeze there and just wondering if we can get a side hustle and even if we should buy some lottery tickets. Wouldn't it be fantastic to win the lottery? Wouldn't it just be amazing? Euro millions, 140 million pounds coming in. Tithing. There we go. There's faith in the house. <laughs> and as I was praying about not about the lottery ticket but about whether there's other ways that we can bring in money I just felt God say to me Harry do you trust me and <clears throat> I'm ashamed to say that what I found in my heart was rebellion because what I really wanted to do was not have to trust God because life would be so much easier if I had enough money where I didn't have to look to God to provide for me, wouldn't that just be really comfortable? Just be no problem whatsoever. I could just swan through without having to give it a thought. And then God says, that's right. You can do that if you trust me. If you believe that I am who I am and that I have given you eternal life for right here, right now, you can trust me. You don't need to look to all of these other things to provide for you, to give you sustenance. I'm the creator of everything. Everything belongs to me. Do you trust me? I repented in, <laughs> in tears and dust and ashes, I can assure you. But this is the life that each one of us can come and can live and can tap into. And the invitation is there. We, we had um, 
uh, Sarah come up and share from that passage in Revelation 4. But just before it, there's a door that opens to the throne room. And somebody's up there, and they say, come up here. There's an invitation to come into the heavenly throne room and see from God's perspective. Where it's no longer going to God, where we tell God about how big our problems are, we come up to God's throne room and we can tell our problems how big our God is. Are we willing to trust him? <clears throat> That's the introduction. <laughs> if we go to Psalm 84, this is a, a fantastic psalm. I'm, I'm not going to unpack the, the whole bits of it. I'm just going to read you a, a little portion of it. For, uh, verses 5, 6, and 7. It says, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. They, the rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength, strength to strength, and each one appears before God in Zion. Uh, all of that stuff was an introduction because we, we enter into this covenant relationship with God, don't we? We enter into this um, this amazing journey with him. And it's a bit like when I uh, married Bonnie and we had this rubber stamp, it's all done. But if I said, that's the best that marriage can get, I'll see you later, Bonnie, but nothing changes, we're still married and I go away. There's not enough magic love dust in the universe that you can sprinkle on there that doesn't take away the hard work that you've got to put into to get the most out of a relationship. And we, we see in this verse that, that they have to walk through the valley of Baca. Baca, um, is, uh, it means weeping. They're, they're, it's a bit of a pun that they're doing, a turn of phrase, because that, that particular valley that was an actual place in Israel, it was full of trees that had sap that was leaking out that looked like they were weeping. It was the valley of weeping. And so in the, in the midst of what the psalmist is saying here, um, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on the pilgrimage. They will pass through the valley of weeping. Each one of us will pass through the valley of weeping. As a community, as a church body, as a global church, we are passing through the valley of weeping. Uh, but what's incredible here is what happens next. They make it a spring. They make it a spring. And uh, what I wanted to share about today is it's just some things about how we can make it a spring. How we can make the Valley of Weeping, whether it's a, a personal thing, whether it's a communal thing, or whether it's a global thing, what can we do to make this place a spring? And we can't do that if we don't understand that we have eternal life now and we can trust God totally. It's an impossibility. Okay, so the first thing is that we need to pick up our spade of praise. Okay, everyone say spade of praise. Okay, we need to pick up our spade of praise. And really, that's already been done this morning when Dave, as Dave, only Dave can do, pulls people out to encourage us. And weren't we encouraged when people were giving thanks for what God had done in their lives? Some amazing testimonies there. 
doesn't matter how small it is or how big it is, amazing testimonies that encourage us. And what a spade of praise does as we give praise and we give thanks to God is it starts to shift the ground. Uh, Bonnie and I, we had a, a situation recently where um, we, were, we were just talking with a family friend and it was just going in circles and circles and circles. And um, yeah, they, they were saying some quite hurtful things and we just were getting really frustrated about it, really, really frustrated about it. And uh, we were, I don't know how long we talked, it felt like a long time. It was probably only 10 minutes, but it felt like we were talking about it for a long time. And she said, Bonnie, we just need to pray. Let's pray. And as I said, thank you, Lord, for this person. I, 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 can't, I can't describe to you the change that took place in my heart. So thank you, Lord, for this person. Thank you that they are in our lives. Thank you that we are placed in such a way that we can bring life and love and joy and peace to her. And the prayer went on and on, and our hearts were just changed. Thank you, Lord, for this person that's in my life. Shifting ground. Thank you, Lord, that you are the Alpha and the Omega. Thank you, Lord, for providing me for then. I believe that you're going to provide for me now. Thank you, Lord that you created all things. Thank you that you hold me in the palm of your hands. You are my son and you are my shield. Thank you, Lord, that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Thank you, Lord, that you are the resurrection and the life and that you have given it to me. The ground starts to shift. There's a story in Acts where um, Paul and uh, his partner Silas um, they are, I can't remember exactly the place that they're walking around, but they're, they're walking around this place and there's this um, slave girl that's been demon-possessed and she comes up to them. And uh, Paul just gets really fed up of her, basically. It's not a good look on Paul. He's like, I'm just fed up of this pestering. Be gone, demon. And so the demon gets out and uh, the, the, the girl was a slave girl and the demon was particularly good in prophesying and earned a little bit of money for the, for the owners. And the owners were not happy at all. So they rustle up this crowd, and this crowd come along, and uh, they take Paul and Silas before the magistrates, and it says that they were beaten with rods, thrown into jail, and the jailer was told to hold them secure. Now, beaten with rods, I was listening to a, a thing about um, how capital punishment is still used in, in America. They still have the paddles in 21 states or something like that. And uh, it's, it's, not like a, it's not like a paddling of a child, when they took the rods, it was a thin like cane, and they would whip them on the back, and it would, they would be scarred from it. It, was, it would take a long time for them to heal. They would have been in absolute agony. When it says that they were, uh, to be hold, uh, to, they were told to be held secure, what that means is that they were probably chained to a wall like this. So their bare backs are back up against this wall. It's cold. They're, they've been beaten. They're probably hungry. And uh, the verse, <laughs> it's just incredible. It says around midnight. Midnight? Why are they still awake at midnight after this long, long day? At midnight, they started singing hymns and praising God. And what happens? The ground literally shifts. An earthquake happens. An earthquake happens. And it sets them free. It just releases them. The power of giving thanks, the power of giving praise. It shifts the ground and allows us to be able to do something. But that's the thing. 
is that it allows us to be able to do something. It's starting to make the ground fertile for us to see things grow. So, of course, the jailer, he's terrified. He's just witnessed this act of God. He's about to kill himself. And Paul and Silas, they say, stop! And if they hadn't done that, and if they hadn't shared the gospel with them, with the jailer, then the jailer wouldn't have been saved, nor would all of his family, and nor would their security have been guaranteed that they did that. They gave thanks, but then they had to go and do something with the fertile ground that God had made in that arena. Pick up your spade of praise and start creating some fertile ground. Okay, the next um, thing I just wanted to say is um, from the story, uh, a very famous story about Elijah. So if you turn in your Bibles, or turn on your Bibles, whichever you want to do, and we're going to jump to 1 Kings 18. And uh, we're going to read from verse uh, 27. So just to set a bit of a context, there's drought in the land, drought that's been caused by Elijah. I say caused by Elijah. God's obviously caused the drought too um, because Israel are not, and Judah, they're not, uh, they're not paying attention to God. They're, they're rebelling. So God is withdrawing his blessing from them. And uh, uh, Elijah says, I'm going to prove to you that, that God is real and it's, it's God only. None of these other idols that you're worshipping. And so Ahab says, you're on. You're on. And so he, he rustles up, I think it's 450 prophets um, for Baal. And they, they gather around and they, they, the, the task is this, that we'll, we'll ask whichever God to send fire down to consume a sacrifice. And that God is the, is the real powerful one. And so uh, the, the prophets of Baal, they, they're doing all kinds of weird and wonderful and wacky things to try and elicit uh, this representation of God to come down, this, this move, this power to come. And nothing happens. Nothing at all happens. And Elijah's going, fantastic. And uh, <clears throat> as you read in verse 27, and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them. Said, cry loud, for he is a God. Either he is meditating or he's busy or he's on a journey or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and they carried on and they carried on. Uh, Verse 30 Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he replaced, uh, sorry, he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Um, In order for us to see something significant take place in our lives, I believe that God is saying that we need to repair the altars in our lives. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the altar is a, in, in, the, in the Old Testament, but in, in religions worldwide, the altar is the place where the sacrifice is brought. Okay, so when, when Augustine, for, for instance, came along to England in the 6th century to, uh, to evangelize the nation, um, they went to the local and religious places where there are altars to pagan gods, and they took these places and says, this is a sacred place, and we're going to make it into a church. So a lot of these ancient altars that are in these churches are actually dated back into a pagan time where they've, they've built on top of where this place is. And it's kind of ripping off this story that's taking place here. 
It's the place where the sacrifice is brought. And I've already told you that the, the, the plan was to put a bull on this altar and ask God to come and to, to consume it in fire. But the bull isn't the sacrifice here, okay? For it to be a sacrifice must mean that it is an act of sacrifice. It's something that, that it's not just something that we can live without. It's something that we give of ourselves to the Lord. And as you read the story, you read that he, he asks all of the, the people that are helping him to fill up four jars of water. And they pour it around, and they didn't do it once, they didn't do it twice, they do it three times. Now, what is the most precious thing that you have in your possession in times of a drought? Water. And especially so when the drought has lasted for three years. This is desert land. The cisterns are empty. The rivers are dry. The ground is brown. No rain for three years. And Elijah says, pour water. The most valuable thing that he could offer. He might have died of thirst the next day. Him and his family and his community of people that he provided for. I don't know. But that water was more valuable than gold in that time. So he pours it on, and then he calls for God to come and manifest, and God does. And my question is simply this. What is the sacrifice that we need to come and bring on our repaired altar? For some people, uh, it might be that there's a pain that you're carrying, a, a, a time when, when God has, uh, has really disappointed you where you've cried out for God for help in something and you've just not seen it. It's a time to to offer that pain as a sacrifice to the Lord. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it is money. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. Only you guys know. But, But what is that thing that we can offer? Maybe it's time. A precious time. There's the the old saying that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And yet, uh, I know that I find time to eat, I find time to sleep, I find time to do things that I particularly enjoy, but then when it comes to (laughs) just in work, man, I'd love to spend more time reading the Bible at work and all that, but so much things just come and happen. But unless I prioritize that and carve it out, Am I willing to sacrifice that to the Lord? There's a, a guy, um, a guy called Tyler, Tyler Statton, and he was telling this story about how as a 13-year-old, he wanted out from the church, and somebody dared him to pray every day over the summer holidays for his schoolmate, who's 13 years old. And he took him up on the day, there, he would drop, be dropped off at school, and he'd walk around the school for about an hour every morning, and he held a, di- a directory. Apparently, they did directories for schools where they had all of the phone numbers and stuff. And he held this directory, and he pounded around this school praying, and he fell in love with the Lord. And uh, as soon as school started, he went to his head teacher and said, can I start like a Christian society thing? He said, yeah, sure, no problem. So he wisely chose half six on a Wednesday morning for his evangelistic outreach to his students. And uh, what he said that he did was the night before, he opened his Bible at random, 
picked out a paragraph at random, wrote a few notes out, and then went in. <laughs> You'll be glad to know that I didn't do that when I was preparing for today. And he went in, and there were just a few mates that had probably turned up because it, you know, it was his buddy. But it grew, and it grew, and it grew. He ended up having to take out the, the school's stage area. Most of his year group were coming, and by the end of the year, half of his classmates had given their lives to Jesus. But he was, uh, he was reflecting on this moment, and he said that in his, in his 18, uh, when he was in college, he was 18, 19, 20, and one of his favorite things to do was just to, just to go and walk and just spend time with God. No agenda. Didn't have a prayer list that he was going through. Didn't have anything like that. He just wanted to spend time with Jesus. And uh, he said that, I think that God was more pleased with that than when I was calling out for something. Because God just saw there was no agenda. He just loved being with the Lord. Just loved it. I felt very challenged by that. The, um, the last point you might be glad to hear is that we are to, um, I'm going to say we are to transform ourselves, okay? But I want to just give some context for that because we can't transform ourselves. It's, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. But this is where the English language fails us and where ancient Greek comes to its fore, okay? So in, in English, we only have two voices. There's the active and the passive. The active, I did something, and the passive, something was done to me. Okay, does that make sense? In Greek, you have three voices. You have the active, you have the passive, and then you have something called the middle voice. And the middle voice is where you actively participate with something that is being done to you. Okay? And God wants to transform our lives. And so often, I know for me, I've cried out to God, please help me, please transform me. And then I've just kind of left it all over to God. But actually, what God needs from us is this active participation in the wanting to be transformed. Does that make sense? This is how we can come and make the springs in the valley of weeping. I just want to tell you about a guy called Frank Laubach. I don't know if any of you have heard of him, but I read about his story, and uh, it was just incredible. So he, he was... Uh, uh, a man who was a missionary, and uh, he was over in the Philippines. And uh, after the Second World War, he got involved in this global literacy program. Um, <clears throat> so uh, it started in 1915, but it, then it, it grew out in 1955. So in 1915, while working among Muslims at a, at a remote location in the Philippines, he developed the Each One Teach One literacy program. It's been used to teach about 60 million people to read in their own language. He was deeply concerned about poverty, injustice, and illiteracy, and he considered them barriers to peace in the world. In 1955, he founded the Laubach Literacy, which helped introduce about 150,000 Americans to reading each year, and had grown to embrace 34 developing countries. An estimated 2.7 million people worldwide were learning to read through the Laubach-affiliated program, and in 2002, this was still going, and it merged with the Literacy Volunteers of America to form the pro-literacy worldwide movement. And I was reading about um, the kind of thing that inspired that. 
And uh, I, this is in a book called The Divine Conspiracy, which uh, just talks about the story. And he says, um, <clears throat> Frank Laubach wrote of how in his personal experiment of moment-by-moment moment submission to the will of God, the fine texture of his work and life experience was transformed. In January of 1930, he began to cultivate the habit of turning his mind to Christ for one second out of every minute. After only four weeks, he reported, I feel simply carried along each hour, doing my part in a plan which is far beyond myself. This sense of cooperation with God in little things is what so astonishes me. For never have I felt it this way before. I, I need something. I turn around to find it waiting there for me. I must work to be sure, but there is God working along with me. One second of every minute. Just trying to, not beating himself up if he missed the moment, but just, just, just trying to turn his mind towards Jesus. One second every minute. Just being present before God. And in doing that, he started to be an active participant in the active transformation of his life, which helped to yield this amazing work, which has seen millions of people learn to read and write across the world. I'm not saying that that will be the case in my life, but I know that if I, if I actively participate in God's work in me, that it will act as a catalyst that will see my impact grow, not just double or quadruple, maybe even beyond 10 times. I don't know. But I know that when God is in there and I join in together with him in seeing it done, I'll be able to make springs in the valley of weeping. And that's the invitation to each one of us here. Will we pick up our spade of praise? Will we repair our altars before the Lord? And will we actively participate in God's transformation of each and every one of us? Good. Thank you, David. I want us to, I want to give us a, a time to respond uh, and to allow the Holy Spirit just to speak to you. And so I think um, we'll just invite the, the worship team to come back up. And uh, I'm sure they'll, they'll pick a very good song. Normally I, I have conversations with Dave about how we can respond to stuff. And I have this song, he's like, no, no, this song. I'm like, yes, that's perfect. So I'm sure that they have a perfect song in, uh, in line for us. But I just wanted to give the opportunity for people, if they wanted to come forward for prayer. Maybe it is that there's this repair stuff that needs to take place and you just want to have prayer for that. I don't know what it is. Maybe you want to see this transformation take place and you just want to recommit yourself and you want to stand with somebody and see that, then just come forward and we'd love to pray for you. There'll be a, a handful of people that will emerge and that will, that will assist in that. But Father, we just stand before you now. If we could all stand, that would be fantastic. We just stand before you now. 
And we ask that you would come and speak by your spirit. That we would just be present with you. That we could hear your, your voice. For Lord, we, we want to pick up our spade of praise and we want to repair our altars and we want to actively participate in your amazing transformation of our lives. Father, we want to see the valley of weeping restored and springs spreading about all over the place. So we just ask you to come with your spirit and just show us those areas and we, we give you permission to be specific. We give you permission to, to every area of our life. We just ask you to come and just point, to put your finger on that area. Lord, that we can live this eternal life now. That we can see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.